Hello and welcome. My name is Juanita Headley. I'm a New York attorney and the founder and CEO of Changing Cases. You are listening to a set of podcasts, a series dealing with the issues of human trafficking, child abuse, and of course, knowing how to respond to the question. Over the following weeks and months, I'll be tackling some hard-hitting topics with a view to educate, empower, and inspire you to change the way that you think, act, and respond to better safeguard the children in your world. Stay tuned until the end of the show, where I'll be sharing not only how you can get a copy of my new book, but I'll also inform you of some upcoming live Zoom trainings and how you can contact me to have your questions featured in a future episode of this show. So we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Yeah. So we can talk about it. Talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's talk about the death penalty. It's interesting that a lot of people who don't have family members who are incarcerated do not associate with people who have engaged in criminal activity, may make the blanket statement that they agree with the death penalty. However, I have always considered that if the shoe was on the other foot and it was a loved one, a family member, would they still feel the same way? I did a presentation recently on the topics of human trafficking and child abuse and I explained the story of a guy in Yemen how he was married and on his marriage night, on his wedding night to be exact, his wife died. Now, if I wanted to see change in Yemen, I would eat like them, dress like them, and act like them without compromising my faith in Jesus Christ. And then I would say, marriage is good. Marriage is a beautiful thing. But your wife was six, he was 40. When people become incensed by that, I don't understand because in my country, And in your country, there are most certainly men of 40 having sex with six-year-olds all the time. That is not their wives. Now, I do not agree with child marriage, but I believe that for change to take place, we need to understand the culture. In the same way, with regards to the death penalty, there is a very famous case in the Philippines of Peter Scully, who, to my knowledge, left his wife and two children in Australia after stealing millions of dollars in business investments. He set up the No Limits Fund Company and himself and his Filipino girlfriend, Lizon, sexually abused and tortured girls and boys, including a girl called Daisy. Now, Daisy was not her real name, but Scully and his girlfriend, Lizon, created a video called Daisy's Destruction which was one of the most heinous sexual offenses the Philippines has ever seen. Now, the police and social workers cried. They were emotional because of the nature of what Daisy went through. In fact, even years later, she was still suffering with the mental and physical trauma of her experience. Now, it's interesting because many people who heard of the case of Scully or were privy to the court case documentation, the evidence, the video, they believe that he deserved the death penalty. In fact, I saw an interview with him and he seemed to not acknowledge what he had done. And it was almost as though he seemed to believe delusionally that these children 
somehow consented or approved or agreed to what they were victim to. I wouldn't say engaged with, but victim to, because they were victimized. And during my presentation, when I did express about the Scully case and about this Yemen gentleman, if I can even use the term gentleman, and how the death penalty was something that individuals, members of the general public, felt was deemed appropriate in both circumstances. Now, as a strong Christian, I do not believe in the death penalty. And the person who was asking me my thoughts, feelings about the death penalty even went so far as to ask me, what about Hitler? That's a very difficult question to respond to because of how sensitive the Holocaust is, especially to people who may have had ancestors who were impacted by the Holocaust. What I can say, setting aside Hitler, but what I can say is that according to the New Testament, we know and believe that God came to seek and to save the lost and he came to give second chances. When we refer back to the Old Testament, there are scriptures in there that talk about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In Job chapter 1 verse 21, it says, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I recall hearing that scripture read at a funeral of a great friend of mine who passed away. However, we can take that scripture and use that in all contexts. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. In other words, the Lord gives us life and he gives breath. In other words, the Lord can make the decision as to who will wake up tomorrow morning and who will not. The Bible also speaks about you will reap what you sow. For those who don't believe in God and don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, they call that karma. I've mentioned it before in my podcast, but if you sow pumpkin seeds, you will reap a pumpkin when the harvest is, is ripe. If you sow strawberry seeds, you will reap strawberry. And so the concept that the Bible is referring to is when you do good things, you will reap the rewards of it. Furthermore, the Bible even goes on to say that when you do good things, the Lord will bless you. He will not curse you for your good deeds. I even mentioned actually when sharing today that there are individuals who sometimes suffer a very long and terrible death. They're still alive. And I don't mean that it's a number of hours. I'm talking about there are people who are very sick physically, for example, who suffer immensely for months or even years. And some of those people may not have necessarily lived a very positive, good, productive life. That's not to say every person who suffers when they're dying, it's karma, it's, they're reaping what they sow. But I'm convinced that there may even be instances where a person who is suffering immensely, those sufferings may be as a result of them reaping what they sow, of them experiencing karma, as one would call it. In the Old Testament, it talks about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In the New Testament, it refers to turning the other cheek. When somebody slaps one cheek, you should turn the other. I believe that prison and jail is appropriate to protect and safeguard the general public, to safeguard young, old, children, teenagers. Prison is important and prison is there and serves a purpose. But having visited a number of prisons 
in the Caribbean and also in the Philippines. Juvenile delinquents in the Philippines, in the Caribbean, male and female inmates. Having visited, it further solidified my feelings on the death penalty. Because when I went into the prison, the people that I met were not what I would have expected to. And in fact, I'm sure in another life that we may have been friends on the outside. Of course, realistically speaking, that is most likely not going to happen. Unless I happen to bump into one of these former inmates at a church gathering at an event, it's unlikely that we'll ever cross paths. And if we did, I would of course use extreme caution. People say a leopard can't change its spots, as I've shared before. A leopard can change its spots with cosmetic surgery. People can change, but it's not an overnight thing, it's not instant, it takes time. Everything requires time. The Bible talks about love is patient. Everything takes time. The problem that I have with the death penalty, especially when we consider a place like the US, where in certain states there is death penalty, and as we hear in the media that there is a lot of discrimination against people who are black and brown and Hispanic, the issue with the death penalty is if we look back in history, decades ago, there are countless cases of people who are incarcerated who are found innocent eventually, 10, 20, 30 years later. Some of them die in prison, some of them die a short time after being released. What about those who don't even get the chance to die in prison because their life is stolen from them because of the death penalty, and then it later comes out that they were innocent? Although they said they were innocent and claimed they were innocent, did anybody really believe them? And when we think about the fact that there are innocent men that die because of the death penalty, wouldn't it realistically make more sense to simply not have the death penalty? Because by not having the death penalty, that means that no matter who is arrested and convicted, if evidence later comes out that suggests this person did not commit that crime, that person has the opportunity for a second life. Now we know compensation is not going to fill the void or meet the need of all that has been lost and taken away. But when a person has died, that money, that compensation that is given to their next of kin will never replace that life that has gone. It's a terrible thing to be incarcerated when you have done nothing wrong. And that isn't something that has stopped happening because of eyewitness testimony, because the jury focuses too much on the DNA and not on the facts. Because of flaws in the legal system, innocent men still do go to prison and therefore, innocent men are still at risk of the death penalty if the death penalty exists in a state or in a country. In the Philippines, there is an issue, and there has been an issue for a number of years, where individuals who are engaged in the drug criminal industry, if I can use that term, are sometimes taken out, exterminated, are killed, and the word on the street was that the Filipino president has authorized this or has killed these drug addicts. Now, I don't think the Filipino president is going around killing people, truth be told. But what I will certainly say is that there are individuals, let's call them vigilantes, who feel that it is their responsibility to clean up the streets of Davao or clean up the streets of Manila by taking out every drug addict. But the issue that I have with that is when you shoot a drug addict, all you're doing is removing one individual from that, that area, that turf, and by doing so, it makes room for other individuals to, to replace him or her and to take that spot. 
And even so, if a person is addicted to drugs, wouldn't it be more productive to try to understand why they have the need, the desire, the taste, the habit for the consumption of drugs? Because realistically speaking, if a person has an addiction, has a love for something that is harmful, deadly and dangerous to their body, shouldn't we want to uncover what is drawing them, what is pulling them towards this activity, this illegal activity, rather than simply trying to put a band-aid on it and quick fix it by taking them out. In fact, when I was in Vietnam, I met a young guy. He was originally from Punjab. And we met in Vietnam and we spent a day together. We went about and went to the market, went to a vegan restaurant. And of course, whilst we were together, we were speaking and conversating. And he shared with me how he had an addiction to drugs in the past, that his mother had died from cancer. And even when she was unwell, he would get angry at her and beg her for money so he could get his fix. And his mother would give him money. And he even went so far as to tell me various over-the-counter medicines that you can purchase without prescription and how he would consume those so that he could get a high. And I remember being with him very well as though it was yesterday and we went to this vegan restaurant, we sat upstairs and I took a photograph with him and I said, I'm taking this picture because you're going to die. And I remember that I actually laughed at him and I told him repeatedly, you're going to die. And I thought it was very funny. Now, that really obviously isn't funny and I regret even saying that but at the time I just was sort of taking the mickey as we say in England taking the mickey out of him and saying you're going to die you're going to die and I remember when I left Vietnam eventually and we stayed in contact via WhatsApp and we communicated he messaged me on my birthday and we spoke and he told me how he was planning to go into business with the manager of the hostel where we met and then Around 14 days after we first met, I got a message from a girl and she looked, to me, she looked as though she may have been from somewhere such as China or Malaysia or Singapore because of her features. So I was surprised to receive a message from her and we started talking and she asked me if I knew this guy and I told her that I did. And then she told me that he was dead and when she told me that, that was a kick to the teeth, to be quite honest with you. And I remember I was in a dorm and I ran out of the room and I sat outside and I cried hysterically for quite some time because I felt as though I had cursed him. The Bible says there's life and death in the tongue. Those who love to eat its fruit. And I felt like I had cursed him. I even went so far as to blame myself for his death because I said in my mind, Maybe I told him he's going to die 14 times. And that's the reason why he died, because I had cursed him. Now you're hearing that and probably thinking, really? That's what Juanita thought? Well, yes, that's what I did. And after that, I, I recall, I eventually stopped crying and I said, you know, what? I want to be a missionary. I want to go around telling people about ABC, accept, believe, confess. And so I'd go up to people on the bus, I'd just talk to strangers. And I'll talk about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, believing he died for your sins and confessing that you are a sinner and that you're saved by grace. Truth be told, the novelty wore off. I only did that for so long. But 
When that happened, and I remember I was with a friend in the Philippines, we're in a vehicle, and we saw people protesting, and she was quite happy they were protesting. I was really upset because we both believers, we both go to church, and the protesting was actually in agreement, in acceptance with the death penalty. And for me, I didn't understand that. I thought, but we're both Christians, we should be on the same page, surely. And then I even went so far as to say to myself, but wait a minute, she believes in the death penalty, but what if it was somebody close to her? I would never have envisioned becoming so emotional about a guy I knew for a day. I never envisioned that my life would be transformed, but when I returned to the Philippines and I discovered that he died that day, and a few days later when I'm with a friend who was speaking about how she endorses the killing of drug addicts, it really hurt me because I knew a drug addict. I knew a person who I'd spoken to, spent time with, communicated. And when I was with him and we spent time together, all I saw was a person. I'm not going to over-spiritualize and say a person who was lost, but all I saw was a person. I saw a human being. And when I was with him for that short time, I saw positive traits in him. I believe that he could contribute positively to society. Why did he start taking drugs? I don't have the answer to that question. But he had become an addict. And so from where I stand, if you shoot drug addicts, that's not solving the problem because a drug addict is an addict. They don't have control. It's like when you think about an abuse victim. An abuse victim has lost control. The control has been taken away from them because someone is doing something to them without their consent. A drug addict, on the other hand, although he or she is consenting to consuming those drugs and taking those drugs, they don't really have free will, if I can use that term, because there is that tug and that pull towards the drugs, towards the illegal substances. Now, if he was still alive, who knows how his life may have turned out? Who knows how things may have transpired? They could have got better, they could have got worse. But meeting him, seeing a person who was a blessing to me in that short interaction we had, who communicated with me and sent me a happy birthday message, only for his life to be taken from him at such a young age, not because he was shot allegedly by a president, not because he was shot by somebody in the Philippines, such as a vigilante. He died when he fell down in the restroom and hit his head against the restroom seat. And when I was in that very same restroom, I actually slipped and fell. Of course, I didn't die by the grace of God, but he may have been lying there all night, lost consciousness and died. There are so many people in the world who are struggling, who have committed crimes, infractions, who have not been caught. And that's the thing, that's where I struggle. Because every one of us knows people who have a positive and uplifting and encouraging attitude. And every one of us knows people who are negative and critical. Sometimes we have more people in one basket than in the other. Even if the positive person isn't a family member or a friend, we come into contact in life with people, bus driver, taxi driver, the shop owner. We come into contact with people all the time. 
But the point I'm trying to make is those people that we come into contact with who are positive, uplifting, encouraging, respectful, polite, we have no idea what infractions they may have committed. So when we are quick to say we agree with the death penalty, that's because we are separating ourselves from the inmate, from the convict, from the accused. We're separating ourselves and we're seeing them as the scum of the earth. We consider that they are just as bad as Hitler. But the thing that I always ask is, how can we make a decision as to which crime is the most serious? How can I say this is the most heinous crime? Because your opinion may be completely different. For somebody like myself, who does a lot of work with abuse victims, a heinous crime to me would be the sexual abuse, the rape of a six-month-old. For someone else, a heinous crime would be a 40-year-old man marrying a six-year-old who dies from a broken pelvis on her wedding night. Therefore, how can we, as, as laymen, as humans, make that decision that, yes, the death penalty, we agree, we accept it, this is the penalty that should be used for the worst people? What about when people go so far as to say, well, Yes, God gives second chances, but there are people who don't change the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth time. That might be the case, but I know that in the Bible it says that when it comes to forgiveness, we should forgive 70 times 70. If it's encouraging us as people to forgive 70 times 70, what more would God? Every one of us struggles with different things. Some of these struggles may borderline be criminal, illegal, immoral. Other struggles are simply not healthy, eating too much, shopping for too much things, spending extravagantly. What I'm trying to say here is that each person is an individual and every one of us, as someone shared with me the other day, every one of us has an accident, every one of us makes a mistake. Sometimes these mistakes are criminal, other times immoral, there are times they're illegal. The point I'm trying to say is, we sit there and say, yes, death penalty, absolutely. But what about if it was you? What if you had grown up in an environment that was a destructive one, and as a result of that destructive environment, it shaped the way you think, it shaped your behavior, it even shaped the circle of friends you have. And as the Bible says, bad company corrupts good character. So you're hanging out with the wrong friends, or as I heard recently, you're holding on to a gun that does not belong to you. You get arrested and put in prison for a crime that technically you haven't committed. So you are innocent. According to the law, you have a weapon. So, But the point I'm saying is every one of us, for whatever reasons, makes mistakes. We screw up. That's life. But how is it fair and how is it okay that because this person raped a six-month-old death penalty, because this person murdered a whole family, death penalty, because this person beat his wife to the point of death, death penalty. How can we say that I'm not justifying any kind of behavior, but the point I'm making is, as I say time and time again, we've got to get to the root cause. When we have an individual raise up like Hitler, what he did was atrocious, but where did that stem from? Let's not blame the parents. Let's not blame his schooling, his education, his background, but let's get to the root. Every type of behavior comes from somewhere. Killing drug addicts, killing pedophiles, castrating pedophiles, that's not going to solve the problem. 
The death penalty will not stop paedophilia, murder, rape, domestic violence. Is it a deterrent? When you are an addict, when you have an anger issue, when you are a prolific paedophile, the death penalty cannot stop you from sexually abusing a child because that is almost your innate nature. So therefore, I'll say it again, I believe in prison and jail time to protect and safeguard us, but I believe in second chances so that you can be a productive member of society from the inside of the prison walls. So just think about it. Consider infractions you have made in your life. Consider the penalty that you deserve to receive. As Christians, the penalty we all deserve is death, but God is giving us a chance. That chance is to have life and life more abundantly with Him. But why is it we have that special privilege, but others do not? When a person is given the lethal injection or the electric chair, that is it. Their life is over. They have no opportunity to give their life to Christ, no opportunity to be rehabilitated, no opportunity to be productive in prison, no opportunity to be productive outside of prison. You have not given them a second chance. And quite often, many of the people who commit some of the most terrible crimes, when we look into their background, bullied, abandonment, rejection, not justifying, but like I said, let's always get to the root with everything, with every person, with every behavior, with every conduct, get to the root cause. Thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Keep a Secret? I trust that the information has been useful to you. I believe that we all need knowledge and education, and when we have a better understanding of topics such as abuse, it enables us to better safeguard the children in our world. For a better understanding of the topics being covered each week, then please reach out to me for a copy of my new book, Can You Keep a Secret? You can follow me, message or email me, so that I can answer your questions in upcoming episodes. We can all learn from one another, and this is an educational series that I hope will impact and change not just your life, but also that of the people around you. You can find all my contact details on my website, changingcases.org. That's changingcases.org. Remember to share this podcast with friends and family members. There are victims and survivors in your world. You just don't know it. But if we can all be educated, then the world will be a safer place. Please tune in next week for another episode.